All right, folks, uh, welcome to another episode of Timeless Wealth with uh, Dirk and Dietz. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about our second secret of, of, in, of investing, of successful investing. And basically, that is time in the market and giving your portfolio time, giving you the market's time, uh, giving your investment the opportunity and the time to actually grow. Basically, remembering that you're staying on course. Remember why you started investing in the first place, staying on course. In other words, not to be impulsive and just absolutely sell when, when dire needs come. Um, but I'm going to right away kick it off here uh, with with Sean and Amy. Uh, they've got a lot to say about giving t- a lot of time in the market. Um, I do have some questions. They have some uh, 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 some slides to show us. Uh, I do understand our listeners on Spotify and Apple may not be able to see us. So we're going to try to be as descriptive as possible in terms of describing what we're seeing in the slides here and in the graphs. And just wanted to tell everyone. Obviously, a happy summer. This is the first podcast episode that we're recording this summer. Uh, we're recording over Teams today, so uh, we're we're hoping we're hoping it'll be a success. Anyways, um, let's kick it off. Amy, what what do you got to tell us today about some time in the markets? Well, and I think we'll start. Obviously, we're in a difficult period of the market, so we'll talk about time in the market, especially during difficult periods, uh, to, to kind of address the current environment. But I think it's important just as a general reminder, how many times have we all heard invest early, start early, start early? We all heard it from. from Sorry, what was the first one? Investor, what, sorry? Invest early, start early. Invest early, early. okay, yeah. Right, and why, why did we say that, right? Because the whole point is having time in the market. If you've got time on your side, you have that many more years for compounding to take hold. And that kind of went to our, our first secret of successful investing was around compounding. So that's, that's right, the yeah. other part of that that piece is that time. So starting early and saving often, even if it's a small amount. Um, I know we talk to lots of our, our clients, uh, children and grandchildren, and we'll tell them just save whatever you can. Little bit a week, little bit a month, whatever you've got, just start that habit and get that money invested. And you would be shocked at how quickly that can add up for them. It makes an enormous difference. Um, And then it's kind of like, think of it as almost like weight loss. Like once you start to see the success and start to see how how your investments can grow, all of a sudden that behavior becomes, well, I can do a little bit more. Or what if I change that? And and it continues. So it's setting up that good habit uh, longer term is so, so important. So as soon as you start seeing results, you're saying that human psychology starts wanting to work harder and harder, or in this case, save more and more and keep it going and going, keep the momentum uh, uh, moving forward. Am I correct? You got it. And especially during a difficult period like now, that can be hard, right? It can be hard for us to say, invest, invest when you're watching on a daily basis, the market go down and you're hearing a lot of well, negative it seems like news. A daily basis. It, seems it does. Like a daily basis. It does. Yeah. Not, yeah. But it feels like it. It does. Absolutely. I mean, one day it goes down a thousand points, it goes up a few hundred points. And then, you know, it, we are, we do live in extremely volatile time. Um, we would, I, I think you guys would both agree. It is kind of scary. Like, you know, um, I, actually, uh, you know I'm what, I've been, been hearing that for years. I, I, it, look, really? Foremost, <laughs> no, it's not more volatile today than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or 30 years ago. Why it seems more volatile today is yep. because the numbers on the indexes are, are larger, plain and simple. Oh, urban myth. But you're saying that the actual value, the absolute value, is is larger. Yeah, and and this is not me just talking out of my rear end. This is real. I mean, Wharton, uh, the Wharton School of Business. I remember when I took my Chartered Investment Management Analyst designation, and uh, Dr. Richard Martin was talking about this. 
they did a whole body of work around volatility in the markets on the well, particularly the S and P five hundred. You don't need Wharton or any other U.S. school of business doesn't care about the TSX, but they focus on the S and P five hundred, and they categorically came out and said volatility is within 0.01 percent. Uh, this is 2007 data was in 0.01 percent of where it was in 2000 or sorry 1993 of where it was in 1983 and so forth that they had 25 years of historical data markets are not more volatile today than where they were in the past it definitely feels like it like yeah. i don't know may, may, maybe the war right now that's happening the unfortunate war that's happening happening in ukraine uh the fact that we're coming out of covid and what happened during covid if it does feel a little bit uh, more scarier than usual. Obviously, you would know more than me. You've, you've been in the industry much longer. Uh, but just from the conversations that I hear, even you know when I turn on the news or go on Bloomberg or, or you know Yahoo Finance, whatever, even markets, like the the way they frame it, it does sound like it's it could be a little bit scarier. But well, maybe these are just words on paper. That time in the market. Um, <laughs> sorry, what, sorry, what was that? It it, it does it, it does feel scary today. Yeah. But, there's been scary moments throughout the last 50, 60, 70 years. In every mm-hmm. decade, there's going to be seminal points where it's frightening to be an investor. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, I remember when I when I first started in the business, there was this great chart that they had handed out and it showed, it went back, I can't remember how many years, but a long, long time. And it, it listed a crisis every single year in the market. There's some sort of crisis. Now, whether the market reacts negatively or positively, that that. Sometimes it works itself out within that yeah. one year period. But yeah. every single year, there's something like who would have thought in 2020 we would have been talking about a pandemic? I didn't see that. I, coming. I had no. no idea that we would be going through that environment. And at that moment, it, it was horribly scary. Like we didn't know what that meant. There was not a lot of uh, information available at the time. There was a lot of uncertainty. Um, and, and when you're in that moment, it's how you react and how you behave is is highly highly important with with how your longer term outcome will be. Yeah. Well, what kicked in, you know, in that during that period, human ingenuity, right? You got it. I mean, I always laugh at the U.S. because the U.S. catches a lot of shade in terms of how they behave politically. Even though what the reality is, the U.S. system is built to be dysfunctional. It was actually designed that way so that you couldn't have a permanent monarchy instill themselves into the system. But you know, and I, I love the saying about the United States is that. You know, the United States will always get it right after they exhausted every other option. That's what they do. And they, you know, basically led the charge and basically discovering vaccines for COVID and, and basically took the economy up from off the carpet and we were able to move forward accordingly and have it moving forward accordingly. Again, not without disruption. But at the end of the day, you know, when you aggregate companies all over the world, I mean, if you back it up a step, when you're investing long term, here's here's effectively the bet, and I'm putting heavy quotations around this. The bet you're making is that globally, there are billions of people that wake up every day. Yeah. They go to work or some form of in- industry, some form of work to make money, and they they want to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, they become more innovative, they become more efficient, they save money, they invest things, they they do things to the pe- the premises that they live in and so forth. And that's a huge long-term surge in terms of productivity. Might not feel like a day-to-day, but that's what's going on. So when you invest long-term, you're betting that that process is still going to continue as time goes on, even though the news feed can sometimes be pretty dark. Yeah, I mean, that's news-free. Like they, they, they always try to show you the worst of things. And um, uh, 
No doubt about that. Um, but but well, I do get what you're saying. The, the media is incentivized yeah. to broadcast anxiety-driven news. They're incentivized well, to do that. that. That part is true. I do get what you're saying, though. Like when you're making the bets, you're making the bet on the fact that Billions of people are going to be productive. They're going to work. They're going to, you know, they're going to earn money. They're going to buy. They're obviously going to buy from corporations and from corporations that you're probably invested in. And you're betting on the fact that human civilization is still in the, um, uh, I would say, maybe the paradigm of moving forward and developing and becoming even a better civilization over and over, whether, you know, and I'm talking about across the globe, not just specific civilizations, but just generally human civilizations across the globe. Um, I think it's a safe bet. I think at least for the extreme foreseeable future, um, that bet is a safe bet that humans will still want to advance. They'll still want to innovate. They'll still want to create, and they'll still want to obviously enjoy life and, uh, and spend money. But I wanted to, uh, I wanted you guys to explain, for instance, now you're saying time and, and the long run in a huge long run, for example, or in a, in a long runaway, there's always going to be, for instance, downturns, whether they're recessions, whether they're corrections, market corrections or whatever. But, and judging just by looking at this, um, uh, at this graph here that you're, that you're showing up on here, Amy, can you guys talk to me about the, the bull run time, time frame or the time length? versus bear run uh, time length. Because I know a lot of people from my from my experience, a lot of people will ask, well, what's the point of investing if it's going to go up and it's going to go down and I'm going to still remain at a neutral point? Is that the case? You know, um, I know you, I know most investors, most seasonal investors and most professional investors will tell you time in the market is better than timing the market. But how do you know when to go in? How do you know when to go out if the market's constantly going up, down, up, down, up, down? Like, won't, wouldn't wouldn't your gains be eroded by any losses, right? So um, let's talk about some length here and and some concrete time uh, time examples. Yeah. So so the the slide that we're showing here, Jalal, uh, yeah. show, shows a, a period of time and it shows the average bull market period. On average, they last about five point nine years. Whereas a bear market, when things are negative, they only last about, on average, a period of a year. So there's much more time that you're in those, yeah. those frothy markets. And if you're looking at this graph, it, it's almost like you're zooming out, right? Because, again, if you zoom in on a down year like we're going through a period we're going through now, yeah. feels awful, feels like it's going to continue for a long, long time. But when you actually zoom out and look at the big long-term perspective – going back to, you know, 1945 till now, you can see there's so much more upside um, in, in those markets, a lot more periods where the market is trudging forward. Now, you see it's still a zigzagging line, even though it's generally on the upside. Yeah. But it, it's, but it's, again, that trend is an upward trend. And that yeah. that's the important part. And why <laughs> about the whole issue tailing it back to time is, there's no way that we can actively predict when these moments will come or yeah. how long they will last or, you know, how deep it will be. And if you miss those days where the market is up, you, you'll essentially have made no gains at all. And mm -hmm. so it's being invested, collecting. And then also it's important to think about a lot of the companies we invest in do pay dividends, not all of them, but a good uh, majority do. You're yep. collecting a lot of those dividends along the way, even when you go through those dips, which means when the market does finally turn, you have that many more dollars to participate on the upside. 
because, of, because mention, of the dividends that you accumulated, right? You got it. And not yeah. to mention if you continue to save during that period of time when the markets are down, or if you mm -hmm. add to the portfolio when the market is down, you're buying in at cheaper prices, right? That's, you know, the 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 sell you know sell high buy low sort of thing right but it's yeah. it's it's easy to say it but to actually do it is difficult but we'll often tell clients the best time to keep adding and adding is when the markets feel really awful and mm -hmm. you're probably and a lot of people will talk themselves out of it though because they'll yeah. say oh but it could get worse it, it could get worse if I could jump in you know yeah. if you look yeah. at it in the bull markets sometimes you're in the midst of a bull market. And you won't really know you're in the, the, the midst of a bull market that's coming to an end until after it's current. I mean, that's the that's yeah. the natural way markets work. But even when you're in a bull market, it might not feel like it. Like if you look at the the, the squiggly lines in this chart, which shows basically yeah. in the bull market, things are going up. And then in the, in the bear market, things are trending down. And it shows the length of each of those occurrences. But even when things are going up, it's not arithmetic upward like that. It goes no. up and down, and down like all over yeah. the place. And picture my hands going swinging up and down on an upward trend. So yeah. in, those, in those moments, it can feel like you're not in a bull market when even you are. Yeah, and, and just for those listeners, can, you know, sorry, go ahead, Sean. You see the markets go up and down every day, right? And you feel you feel like you're not gaining any ground. Well, that's because that's the case. If you watch the market each and every day, it yeah. does go up and down each and every day. And the probability of it going up or down in any given day, when you look at it from a historical perspective, stripping out history and causation and so forth, just look at the straight, was the market up or down in any given day? The reality is it's a coin flip in terms of the probability of whether it's going to be up or down. It happens historically that the markets typically are up 50.5% of the time, mm -hmm. take a little bit. And it happens historically that the markets are down 49.5% of the time. Yeah. Day. But because of that relationship, you know, basically from a month perspective, months are up typically 55% of the time, give or take, and they're down 45% of the time. Because of that relationship, any given year, you're going to be up 60% of the time and down 40% of the time because of the aggregation of being up more 55% of the time or whatever compounds on a forward basis. Because of that relationship, over a three-year period, you're going to be up 80% of the time. Over a five-year period, you're going to be up 90-plus percent of the time. And over any rolling 10-year period, over the past 100-plus years, you're up 100% of the time. Mm. That's so pretty Sean, awesome. Sean to, your, so Sean, to your point, the slide we're showing now um, talks about annual returns and then the intra-year so this is interesting to look at because if you take a period of time, to Sean's point, if you're watching your portfolio every day, sometimes you feel that need to to react or to do something. And sometimes the best thing is to do absolutely I always nothing. ask if someone's watching their portfolio every day, why do they dislike themselves so much? Because you're, yeah, you're basically subjecting <laughs> yourself to psychological torture. Like, it is. Needlessly. You don't like if you own good companies, you don't have to worry about it day to day. Yeah. And we don't have to journey back too far. Like think of 2020, right? So at one particular, it was March 2020 where the wheels fell off the market. And you can see in this chart, the markets were down you know, 27%. Now, if you reacted in that moment and you sold or you got out and, and you were you know, not feeling so great and you reacted, well, you would have missed how the year turned up. The market ended up up 16%. 
Oh, is that what this shows? So it would, it was down negative 27 and then it ended uh, at ah. positive 16%. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Another so way to look at, look example, at another. Yeah. Sorry, to give you an example, if you look at, you know, I'm going to suggest, um, let's say 1995. I'm just picking that out randomly, right? Yeah. 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 You know, the, the, the global markets were up somewhere in the neighborhood of 34% in 1995. But at one point they dropped 3%. In other words, the overall return that year at some point in that year was minus 3%. And yet you ended up on a plus 34% trajectory. Okay. And two, 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 2008 is another good example, Joel. Like 2008 was an ugly, ugly year. Um, yeah. And one of the things we're most proud of is we didn't have a single client sell in that environment. Now, it felt awful and a lot of people wanted to sell and we were along with them. It didn't feel very fun. But you can see if you would have panicked at the worst point in time, the markets were down, you know, 32 percent. Yeah. But within that year, it ended. It was still down. You were still down 23 percent. But then look at the following year and how the markets came back. Now, if you would have just stuck with it, you would have made your money back that much quicker versus the person that sold at yeah. a minus 32 percent. They've got a much harder fight to get back to where they were. Yeah, and correct me here if I'm wrong, guys, but just for for our listeners that cannot see the graph, and by the way, for everyone that's listening, um, uh, the our our podcast is also on YouTube, so these graphs, will, the whole video will be showing up on YouTube. But I just want to explain and describe a little bit about what we're seeing. So, Amy, you're seeing that in 2008, if I if I understand this graph correctly, the the dark black where it says negative 32 percent, that's the maximum decline. That was the least amount that the that the market was down during that year. Correct. So. It didn't go down below 32 uh, percent. Uh, right. Is that am I understanding that correctly? Right, and right. then it ended up only. So it ended that year, 2008. It ended it at only negative 23 percent. Right. So if you had sold at you know when it was really down at like 32 percent, if you had waited, you would have only if you had sold at the end of the year, you would have only lost 23 23% versus the 32% if you had sold at, at the maximum lowest point. However, right. if you had waited till the next year, I think that's 2009 right there, mm -hmm. you would not only make all your money back, but it, 2009 also ended up, sorry, the, the year ended with a 10% increase in the market, correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay, so for our listeners that uh, that cannot see the graph, we're seeing two different numbers here. The number, the one of the numbers, which is, um, the lower, usually the lower number, that's the maximum decline of the market um, during the year. And then the other number represents how the year ended, how the year concluded itself in the market. Gotcha. So yeah, if you look in 2020, in March, when it when COVID-19 hit, it was down negative 27%. But if you had waited till the end of the year, you're actually would have been up 16% than what you even started uh, on top of what you started. Uh, uh, that right. year. Okay. Right. Perfect. And, yeah. and again, the person that sold at the bottom, you know, is foregoing any of the dividend income, all of that to sit in cash and then try to guess when to jump back in. Right. And so Understood. that's a yeah. even more difficult hurdle for them to overcome. Yeah. To, you know, the psychology of, 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 an, of investing successfully, because at the end of the day, you can't time these things and, and, and talk about what, you know, what the market's going to do in the future, because again, Typically, it's going to be a coin flip in terms of whether the market's going to be up or down at any given day. There's some causal predictability that may suggest markets are going to be down more so than up. But, but generally speaking, that's that's the relationship. And so the best thing you can do, assuming three things, one, you're properly diversified. 
yeah. to you're not speculating. Oh, here it is. Here's here's Sean's favorite thing to do. What what to do when 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 it when things look like they're about to hit the fan. Well, the second best thing you can do, and sometimes yeah. it's the hardest thing to do, is absolutely nothing. If you yeah. if you invest in quality companies, you're properly diversified by geography and asset class, and you're not speculating, you'll be fine. And that's something we've spoken yeah. to in the past. Yeah. Earnings of quality companies are much more stable than the actual share prices of those companies. Okay. And they're stable and they're tended, they tend to be upwardly trajecting. The best thing you can do is if you're in a position to invest, you invest during times when you least want to. Pick up some more when, when it feels really hard to do so. And there's this, there's this, you know, there's a couple little known investors that are that are very good at doing that. You know, like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, that's how they that's how they behave. And they and they they tell everybody, they'll scream from the mountaintops saying they're behaving that way. I'll never forget Warren Buffett in 2008 when everyone was running around with their hair on fire, came out with his famous Buy America. Mm -hmm. he, he was Buy America. So he goes, this is the buying opportunity of a lifetime. No one would listen to him. So yeah. he, he went out and bought America, made billions. Mm -hmm. And some of the deals he got were just off the charts. I mean, he structured, um, he was called the bailout Goldman Sachs. People may recall this years ago. He was called the bailout Goldman Sachs because TARP was not enough to save them. And so mm. he said, sure, I'll bail you out. He basically provided them, as I recall, a billion-dollar note. It might have been $10 billion, but somewhere, I think it was a billion-dollar note that paid him 10% annually with options to buy the shares at somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 U.S. a share. Jeez. And where is it trading now? $250 a share. He made, I think he made like eight or nine billion dollars on that transaction alone over the next five years. Wow. It's the power of compounding. Yeah. He, he saw he saw what other people see. And, and he he bet on the United States to get you know to get the hell out of the the, uh, the recession and, and get yeah. itself back on track. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he meant by America. that's what he meant by buy America, right? He, he, he came out and said buy, but Ray Dalio did that. I mean, George Soros was very active during that period yeah. of time. You know, billionaire investors are, are they're just very, they think very differently than the average retail investor. They, and frankly, I hate to say it, they take advantage of our emotions. Well, I mean, and here's the thing, that headline that Warren Buffett came out and said by America, that headline didn't sell as much. We're showing on the slide now some headlines from Time Magazine in the past, going back to the 70s, and then I'll, I'll flip it to, to journey it all the way to current date. But look at the headlines. These are the headlines that sell, negative news. Like if we journey back to July 17, 1978, the inflation fighter, or July 2nd, uh, 1979, the energy mess. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the here's another good one. March 2nd, 1981, the axe falls, uh, Reagan's plan for a new beginning, um, you know, interest rate anguish, the deficit monster. Like these are you know, headlines that people are going to go, whoa, what's happening? This this is compelling that things are going to get worse. But the interesting thing is if you actually look at the date that these headlines came out and if you were to invest at the time that horrible headline came out and journey out 10 years, you can see the rates of return. Um, and for those of you that can't, uh, I'll read off some of them, but they're substantially higher. Um, so we'll, we'll pick one here. I'll, I'll pick one more current date here. Here's one. Uh, December 3rd, 1984, a wash in troubles, America's banks. 
Now, if you were to invest on that date and journey 10 years ahead, you know, later, your cumulative return was 288%. Mm. What what was happening in what happened in 84? Anyone know? Like December 3rd, 1984, that's uh, a wash in trouble. So the, basically you're saying that if they had invested on December 3rd, 1984, when this issue of the Time magazine came out and they had waited 10 years, so it would have been what, 1994, like around December 1994, their return on their investments uh, would have been 288%. Yep. Yep. If you go back, I mean, this is all time during the Cold War. This is also really interesting, like when people thought, you know, uh, uh, Russians were going to be shooting us from uh, uh, from outer space with lasers or like guns from outer space. So it, definitely a scary time during uh, especially the late stages of the Cold War, but um, show some really big like look at this one. If you had invested on October 15th, 1990 and waited 10 years on your investments, right, where it says time, high anxiety, I think. I think that was just before the, I guess, the fall of the USSR. So up until, if you had given your investments time up until uh, October 15th, 2000, your return would have been 468.69%. Mm-hmm. Wow. So time is a virtue in the uh, uh, in the market, but you still need good quality stocks. It's not like Absolutely. you just pick up, right, Sean? Like, it's not like you just pick up whatever and and give it time. I think I've had this discussion with you that, okay, if I had unlimited time, wouldn't any any investment at least make it out? Um, and you said, no, you still have to, you still have to do your due diligence, um, either hire a professional or at least do your due diligence in terms of knowing where to invest and, and where to put your money. You want to know, you want to, you, you want to know what you own and why you own it. Yeah. Because when times inevitably do get tough, and it's going to happen, mm-hmm. um, you want to be able to look at your portfolio and say, look, I, I, I own TD Bank, and I, I saw the branches are still open and people going in and out and doing stuff, and that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw the trains are still running. You know, I own Canadian National Railway, so on and so forth. You know, I booted up my computer, it up popped Microsoft, didn't, you know, like so on and so forth. That's kind of... The rationale behind it so you don't get panicked out of the market because you you change your rationale from my own equities or stocks or whatever you call it into i own shares of ownership in a business a viable profitable business yeah annoying yeah a big, ahead, a big majority of investing is psychology and it's very easy to say it and everyone can say oh i can do it i can do it but when times get tough it's it's human nature, right? When things don't feel good, if you put your hand on a stove and it's hot, you don't say, well, I'm just going to keep it there and hold it on there. It's like, no, it hurts. Yeah. I, I, I remove it. I'm <laughs> investing. It hurts. We're saying you have to overcome that feeling. And we're saying, you know, at least keep your hand on it or lean into it even more so. It's just very, very difficult to do. So Sean's point, if you open up your statements and at least you can recognize what you own and understand why you own it. And again, you can use your eyeball test and see that these companies you're using their products. That's going to let you sleep a lot better at night than in owning like a black box investment that you're not really sure what exactly. It is. Yeah. And I think, I think in closing, you know, this next chart is going to really illustrate why it's important that you don't get head faked out of the market. Yeah, the, this one. If, 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 if we, if time hasn't sunk in, I think this chart will will hit you right over the head. So this is looking at the S and P 500 price return from 1930 to 20 to 2020. 
Now it's saying if you were to invest during that period of time, and if you miss, if you exclude the 10 best days per decade, so that's 90 days over a 90 year period. If you miss those days, your rate of return would have been 28%, 28%. Versus what? Versus 17,715%. So are you telling me? Yep. Are you telling me? I'm telling you. And over the span of 32,850 days, if you miss 90 of them or a quarter of a quarter of a percent of those days, you just miss that much, yep. you might as well have done nothing. Exactly. That's In 90 years, you would have only gone up 28%. Yeah. I'm not so versus. You're going to have to be a pretty darn, uh, you know, tell the future pretty darn well to to time that. I don't know how anybody could time that. but I was uh, just going to say, is there any way to figure out what those 90 days are? Like not even the best technical (laughs) analysts will be able to tell you the pattern recognition? No. No way. uh, How many billionaire technical analysts do you know, Jal? None. (laughs) (laughs) Just asking. Yeah. None. And then, and then the other question, you know, I'll here's the other thing too. You, you know, how many billionaire um, despondents do you know? Like, like, how many billionaire pessimists do you know? Most billionaires tend to be optimists. They tend to be forward-looking, and they tend to look at you know times of disruption as opportunity because they implicitly understand that chart there, that picture there, better than anybody. Hmm. I honestly, I know none billionaire pessimists. Um, <laughs> you can probably claim, I don't know, maybe Musk is a little bit of a pessimist in some areas, but how's he? A but no, he's sending rockets into space and internet service all over the world. He's doing all sorts of crazy stuff. He's he's burying children all over the place. I mean, he's a he's an optimist of the highest degree. I think. <laughs> I, I I agree. Like he, in terms of innovation, he's definitely an, an optimist. And in terms of humanity, push, you know, moving forward, especially going more towards like net zero uh, emissions. I bring nine children into this world. <laughs> I didn't know he has nine. He has nine kids. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I didn't know. That. <laughs> have nine kids, so he's got. Uh, news I do know. So I was actually reading, and Sean, Sean, or maybe you guys can touch upon this. I I ran across this. Um, uh, this article not too long ago. I know things look really bad right now, yeah. but I did read that insider buying is actually really, really high. Why so insiders are actually buying their own stocks. I don't know. You're the. I think maybe they know that things are looking looking up in the in the near future. I don't know. What do you think? RBC well, though they, did just release a report today saying that if Canada is going to hit a recession, it's going to be in 2023. It's going to be moderate and very short lived. Like it's going to be a very short recession. RBC just released it t- today. But insiders are buying like I think it's at an at a decades high where insiders are just buying um, uh, uh, their own stocks. So you're an insider of a company, right? You know your yeah. company better than anybody. Theoretically, okay. not all mm-hmm. the time, theoretically. Okay. And you know that your co- you know how well your company is doing. Yeah. And you look at where your share price is, and you go, "Why wouldn't I buy that?" Mm-hmm. So you know, and it's, it's somewhat parallel to insider buying being at near all time highs. I don't know if it's quite all time, but it's close, right? It's pretty. It's pretty darn close. Yeah, there was a graph that was shown. Yeah. If you look at share repurchase activity, like companies buying back their own shares, yeah, that's going through the roof right now too. And Why dividends, I think you, you've said previously, dividends are also increasing too, right? Well, put dividends on the shelf. That's that's a separate conversation. But uh, repurchase okay. of, uh, activity, 
where a company goes out and buys back their own shares, reducing the overall share flow, which means anyone who's left over still holding shares gets a, a, a larger piece of the earnings pie, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. While they're out there repurchasing like crazy because they know their shares are undervalued. Mm -hmm. And if you're buying back shares, what better time to buy them back than now versus a year ago? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, things are more for the same dollar you're spending. So that's right? some light for the that's... tunnel. So some light for the dividend increases are, are also uh, above historical norms. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. still happening. And a company that increases its dividends, they're trying to do a hardcore signal to the to their shareholders and to the investing public at large that they think long term things are going to be fine. Yeah. Because companies that increase their dividends, they're really behooved to reduce them at some point mm -hmm. in the future. They don't. They never want to do that. No. So they're doing wait. If they're very, increasing it, that's going to be the new threshold. They'll never decrease it at, more than no, that. You can't say never, but it yeah. would be a very bad sign to the market if you did that. So they're so they're confident careful. enough. Yeah. They're very careful when they increase it because they want to be sure that they can withstand that. And a good example of that was Canadian banks going through two thousand eight, where you had a U.S. bank, you know, Lehman Brothers, you know, go bankrupt. Not a single Canadian bank cut their dividend. They held. They didn't increase it, but they held it because that would be a very, uh, you know, scary signal to send to the market. It would people would panic and and things like that. So they're very careful before they increase it. But then they started increasing dividends, and I believe 2010, and, and, yeah. and increased them as an aggregate for the next, you know, 12 years. They they had yeah. to stop around COVID because Offsee told them to stop. Yeah. And now what you know now what you have, and this is again an interesting environment we find ourselves in. Canadian banks are down anywhere from 15 to 20 percent from their from their recent highs. Um, they on average have increased their dividends in the past year somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 percent. And collectively, they're sitting on too much tier one capital. They have too much unencumbered cash on their books, which draws down their earnings. They got to get rid of some of it. They have too much of it. And so what, what's the best way to get rid of it? Repurchase your shares or dividend it out to the shareholders. And of course, when they increase their dividend, they have the confidence to know, generally speaking, that that's the new threshold for their for, for their dividends. Like, unless I don't know, some kind of apocalypse happens, maybe they're not they they don't want to decrease their dividends. Like, it's not just like an up and down cycle. They they'd rather increase it and keep it keep it at that level for the foreseeable normal future. Now, I'll give you an example of this in, in action. So, FedEx recently came out with their earnings a few weeks ago, and yeah. they increased their dividend by fifty percent. Well, FedEx just didn't arbitrarily do that. They didn't say, well, I'm just going to pick a number and increase it to that level. They they spent somewhere in the neighborhood of half a billion dollars a year or more forecasting economic activity around the globe because mm -hmm. they're at the thin edge of the wedge of that activity in terms of logistic logistics, right? 100%. So yeah. they have to be pretty damn sure that things are going to progress according to plan for them to say, okay, we're going to take our dividend and raise it by 50%. And you're yes. saying 55-0. Their, their business model is going to be fine. Right. Sean, you're saying 50, right? 5-0%? Five, 5-0, zero five, zero, yes. Oh, wow. That's a huge increase. Yeah. But they wouldn't do that just for the sake of it. They, they, they're pretty darn sure, like I said, that their business functioning is going to be pretty stable and, and growing yeah. over the next while. So again, so again, going back to time, it's you have the, those types of companies in your portfolio. That money continues to come in either on a monthly or quarterly basis or an annual basis, whatever the company has paid it. But you have that money coming in, and again, that many more dollars to participate 
when the markets recover. So it, it's sticking with it as horrible as it feels at times um, and just keep doing it. Right. And again, yeah. start early. Um, it time, time is a huge component to a secret of success. Yeah, give, your, give your investments time. This is, if yep. you look, look at it from the dividend perspective, although repurchasing shares has a similar effect, it says it doesn't create cash in your hand. If you look at a down market like this, you know the share prices get you know depressed in value, and yet the dividend activity is continuing. It's still they're still increasing dividends and so forth. So, like for instance, the average dividend growing company on the S&P 500 tends to grow their dividend 12 percent per year. That's on average. If inflation's running at eight, well, your income stream is still preserving its purchasing power relative to inflation, even at eight mm -hmm. percent, because your dividend mm -hmm. growth rate is higher than that. Mm -hmm. And you're able to buy at lower prices, which means your yield on that security is that much higher. Right. So that's the advantage of buying low. I mean, it sounds obvious. I mean, I always joke when people say, hey, what advice can you give me? I always say buy low so high. I mean, but it's kind of true. You know, like <laughs> buy low because you're getting better value for your dollars. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the underpinning of why you want to own that investment doesn't change. Yeah. yeah. So just to just to conclude it, guys, I think as Amy said, start early, invest early, and and really stick by your guns. Like remember why you invested, even if there's some downturns, even if there are some corrections in the market, mm -hmm. which we, as you know, economically speaking, or in I guess economic theory speaking, it is kind of healthy. It's kind of natural for for a market to go mm -hmm. uh, through corrections and. Um, perhaps even even in recessions. But the point is, you don't want to forget why you originally started investing in the uh, 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 in, in the get go. Uh, just remember that it is a long term, like a long term game. You're not going to get rich in, in probably a year or two. Like Hollywood does a really bad job in in portraying that and conveying that people are going to become millionaires in in a year or two just from. Well, technical analysts are the ones that show show this. I feel like they're the ones that are behind this concept, this theory that like. You can time it and become rich in, in in a very short amount of time, but I think that's highly unlikely. But the point is, give your portfolio time, give your investments time to grow, right? Like, don't don't uh, cut it at the knees uh, as soon as it starts getting some some treads and uh, just when things have a little bit of uh, of havoc, I'd say. And just to close out your thought on that, Jalal, about trying yep. to the market and technical analysts and so on and so forth. Yeah. If you look at, and you can you can Google this, I don't have it in front of me, but if you look at yeah. the returns of a hedge fund index in the United States, hedge fund, mm -hmm. against the S&P 500, the hedge fund managers woefully in aggregate underperform the broader-based market over time, like woefully, versus the long really? managers, at least, you know, from an aggregate performance standpoint, have a, you know, have a chance to be in the ball game, and then basically because they're advising their clients don't sell at the wrong time or buy at the wrong yeah. time and so forth, they tend to do better than unadvised, let's gotcha. say, investors that try to do mm -hmm. things. Gotcha. All right. Um, all right. Well, thanks a lot, everyone, for tuning in for today's uh, for today's episode on the second secret of investing. Just remember, the first one was compounding, and the second one is time. Uh, give your portfolio, give yourself, and give your money some time to actually work for you and grow. And we'll uh, see you guys next time. Bye.